So let's go ahead and get started. We are still in Ephesians chapter 1 to do a brief uh, recap and review of last time. Uh, we saw that in verse number 5, uh, Paul said that we were predestinated. And in verse number 4, he said that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So we talked about what that meant. And in verse 5, we saw that what was it that God predestined uh, before the foundation of the world? That was us unto the adoption of children. So we saw that uh, Paul is talking about that God predestinated uh, the plan of salvation, the fall of man and the rescue and the redemption of man. And then in verse number 6, there was a phrase uh, that starts verse number 6 that Paul actually uses three times in this chapter. And that phrase is, to the praise uh, of the glory of His grace. And we'll see that uh, two more times in this chapter. And we talked about how that uh, the plan of salvation, God's redemption and God's uh, forgiveness of sin is for His praise and for His glory uh, and that He has made us accepted. So remember, as we get into verse number 7, Paul is talking about uh, Jesus Christ because in verse number 5 he said uh, that we are adoption of children by Jesus Christ. So then when we see in verse number 7, he starts out and says, In whom... We have redemption. And who is he talking about? In who? That who is Jesus Christ as the subject matter of the passage. So in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, this is not a really long verse of scripture. Uh, verse number seven but man, there is a lot in that verse. <clears throat> we could spend hours just talking about verse number 7, and I will do my best not to do that tonight. But when we look at verse number 7, we see uh, the person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Because in verse number 5 it says, by Jesus Christ himself. And then he says that we have redemption through his blood. And that word redemption there <clears throat> means uh, the Greek word that was translated redemption means the same thing as redemption means to us today. And that, and a lot of people don't realize what redemption means, but it means to be redeemed. It is a repurchase or it is a recovery uh, of payment. It's a deliverance and a rescue. So basically, you have to have something and lose it to be able to redeem it. You can't redeem something that you've never had before. So what did uh, Christ redeem unto himself through his blood? He redeemed humanity. He redeemed us because God created man, created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They sinned and fell away. So there was a separation between humanity and between God and through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he redeemed us and bought us back to himself. So I heard uh, an example a few weeks ago of redemption that I'd never heard before. And it, it really spoke to my heart and I wanted to share that uh, with you all tonight. And that's the story 
of a little boy who uh, built a boat. So he, he wanted a boat, a toy boat, so he got some wood and he built himself a boat and he painted it to the best he could and he made a couple mistakes and, and everything else, but he built this boat. He loved this boat and it was his prized little boat because he built it and created it all by himself. So he went out uh, to this little pond and he was playing with his boat and selling his boat and then as kids do, he got distracted and he uh, started doing something else and then he remembered his little boat. So he went back to get his boat and it was gone. And he was devastated because this boat that he loved was gone. He lost his boat. And then a few weeks later, he was walking through town and he passed a pawn shop. And there's his little boat in the window of the pawn shop for sale. So he goes into the pawn shop and he tells the store owner, he said, that's my boat. I built that boat. It's my boat and I lost it and I want it back. And the pawn shop owner said, son, I'm sorry, but that's my boat now. I paid money for it. Somebody brought it in here and I bought it from them. And here's how much it is. If you've got the money, you can have the boat. And the little boy said, well, I don't, I don't have the money. So he went out and he spent several days and several weeks working odd jobs and doing things to, to get the money. And then he went back in to the pawn shop and he said, I'm here to get my boat. It's my boat. And he said, do you have the money? And he said, yes, sir, I do. So he put the money on the counter and he got his boat and he went out and he said, this is my boat. It, I built you, I lost you, and now I have you back. And that's what Jesus Christ did is he had us, he built us, he created us, he lost us. And now through the shed blood, he paid the price and redeemed us back to himself. So this little boy had to buy his own boat back. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He had to buy with his blood, he had to buy us back and redeem us back to himself. So when you see this word redemption, think of that little boy who had to buy back his boat, that precious little boat that he loved. Uh, I can imagine the conversation he had with the store owner. He probably say, you see that little scratch on the side? I know that's my boat because that little scratch is where I bumped it against my mom's kitchen counter and put that little scratch on it. Uh, he could identify that boat. He knew everything about that boat because he built it with his own hands. And that's how the Bible says about us, that God knows the very numbers uh, of the hairs on our head. He knows us better than we know ourselves because he built us, he created us. So when we see here in verse number seven, in whom in Jesus Christ we have redemption, which is the, the, then, the, then we look at not only the person, but we see the price through his blood. It's redemption through his blood. God purchased us with the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when are we going to have this redemption? When is it going to happen? As we, as we touched on last week, uh, he says that through his blood that we have redemption through his blood. Not that we're going to have it. Not that someday we're going to be redeemed. We're redeemed already. We're redeemed today through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. Past tense. We have it right now. <clears throat> so that is the price that was paid. It was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's something that we currently possess, that we currently have. 
Then we see, as we go on, uh, what did that redemption do through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? We see the pardon, and that is the forgiveness of sins. You know, I, it grieves my heart when I hear people talk and uh, sometimes the shallowness of, of uh, well-meaning Christians uh, when they think in the mindset, and it's, and it's usually because it's something they've heard or they've been taught, is that someday when, when Christ comes back, we're going to be uh, redeemed and we're going to be, our sins are going to be forgiven. Well, forgiveness of sins is not a future state. Forgiveness of sins is only a future state for the lost person. The lost person's sins have not been forgiven because they have not accepted the forgiveness. However, I like to say that all sin has been forgiven. All sin. The only difference between a saved person and a lost person is that you and I that are saved, we have accepted the forgiveness of sins and they have rejected the forgiveness of sin. Their sins have been paid for. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for the sins of the whole world. So the lost person today, their sins have already been paid for. They just are still holding the mortgage and are refusing to take it to the bank and cash it in. So if you're lost today, your sins have been paid for, but you have to accept the free gift of God's love. So what do we have? We have redemption through his blood. That is the forgiveness of sin. Now, how did he do that? What is the purpose? Why, why did all this happen? That's when we see the last part of verse number 7. He said, according to the riches of his grace. So how is my sins forgiven? How am I redeemed? Is it because I'm a good person? Is it because I live right? Is it because I do good things? Is it because I read my Bible and I pray? Is that how I have redemption? Is that how I have forgiveness of sins? Paul says, uh-uh, not hardly. It's according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. You know, Paul could have said it's according to the grace of God, and that would have been a wonderful thing. But Paul goes even further. He said it's not just his grace. It's not just according to the grace of God. It's according to the riches of his grace. So he's got grace Beyond grace, he's rich in grace. He's rich in mercy. There, there is no way that we can uh, uh, eat up or use up the supply of God's grace. Now, so what was the purpose? The purpose was according to his grace. Why? Because he wanted to. Why did God save us? Not because we deserved it, but because he wanted to. Because that's what he is. He's a loving God and he's a forgiving God and he wanted to. James 1.18 says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. Now, when we see that, the forgiveness of sins according to his grace, what we see is that Paul is talking about the riches of his grace and what that means is, is that there's no limit to the grace and the mercy of God. None. And that is a theme throughout Ephesians. So here uh, in verse number 7, it says, according to the riches of His grace. In chapter 2, verse 4, 
Paul says that he is rich in mercy. In verse 7 of chapter 2, he said the exceeding riches of his grace. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in chapter 3, verse 16, he said the riches of his glory. You see, God is rich. And he's rich in love. He's rich in grace. And he's rich in mercy. It's a never-ending supply. You see, Angie and I, we're not rich. There's not an endless supply of money in the bank. Sometimes we think there is, and we buy things we can't afford, like all of us do. And then when the bills come due, and you sit down to write out the checks, you realize there's more bills than there are money in the bank to pay them. And you're like, ooh, we got to cut back a little bit, unlike our federal government that just says we'll borrow more money from China. Uh, <clears throat> we have to live on a budget. But there is no budget when it comes to the grace and the mercy of God. There is no budget. There's an endless supply. There's a throne room in heaven. When you throw open the door, you can carry out loads and loads and loads of mercy. And then next time you open the door, it's amazing. The room is full again. There's more grace and more mercy to go around than can ever be used up. Now, when we get to verse number 8, it really goes back and re-emphasizes verse 7 in a really great way. He says, wherein, wherein what? The riches of his grace. So he's just talking about the riches of his grace. So he says, in the riches of his grace, he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So what does he say about the riches of his grace? He abounded them toward us. Now that word abounded means to be in excess, to have abundance, to have over and above, more than enough to spare. So he said the riches of his grace, and then he said those riches he abounded toward us. Do you realize that you were a dirty, rotten sinner? And Christ did not barely have enough grace to cover that sin. He covered it with more grace then you even have the ability to sin. So I can't tell you the number of times that I've had a conversation with people that honestly believe that they can't be saved. They honestly want to be saved, but they don't believe they can. They've said, Terry, you just don't know what I've done. And I say, you know something? You don't know what I've done either. But it doesn't matter what you've done or what I've done because the grace and the mercy of God is abounding. It's greater than your ability to send it away. So there is no excuse for the lost person that's in hell. And if you are hearing this lesson tonight and you are not saved and you do not get saved, you will lift up your eyes in hell, being in torments just like the rich man, and you will have no excuse because there is nothing that you could have ever done that would be greater than God's ability to forgive or His willingness to forgive. Now, you and I are not rich in grace. You and I don't have abounding grace. You and I see people do certain things and we want them to pay for it. And we don't... Listen, it can't, I can't imagine Hitler being in heaven. I can't imagine uh, Charles Manson being in heaven. I just can't imagine that. However, I do know this. I don't think it happened, but it very well could have. 
if Charles Manson accepted Christ before he died, if Hitler accepted Christ before he died, they're going to be in heaven with us. I don't understand that. And I'll be honest with you, my flesh doesn't like that. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not abounding in grace. <laughs> God is. So there is nothing that a person can do that uh, marks them off the list uh, and makes them unsavable when it comes to God. Now, Romans 5.20 illustrates this. He says, moreover, above and beyond that, the law entered. So you got this law that is accusatory, and it says that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So when your sin is abounding, when your sin is greater than my imagination that a person could even sin that much, God's grace is still more abounding than that. It does much more abound. So there is no excuse today uh, to not come to Christ. There's no excuse to not be saved because His grace is abounding. It's the riches of His grace. He's rich in grace. He's rich in mercy. And He's rich in love. What a tragedy it would be if somebody came to God and wanted to be saved and God had to look at him and say, I'm sorry, I've used up all my grace. Is that even possible? It's not. It's impossible. God can never and will never look at a person and say, I would like to save you. I'm just all out. Now, you may come to me and want to... Uh, sell me a car or, or your, your kids may come to me and want me to buy, you know, cookies from school or something like that. The Girl Scouts may come and knock on my door. Well, not now, but in the past, <laughs> a year ago, they might have knocked on my door. But if I didn't have any money in my wallet, as much as I wanted to buy the Girl Scout cookies, I couldn't buy the Girl Scout cookies because I'm out of money. God will never say, I'd like to save you. I just can't. That's not possible. He's got more grace than he knows what to do with. He's got grace piled up that he wants to share with people. It would be a tragedy. Here's the thing. We can find ourselves in a situation where we don't have enough water. We can find ourselves in a situation where there's not enough food. We can find ourselves in a situation where there's not enough air to breathe. But we can never, ever be in a situation to where there's not enough grace of God. How much does air cost? It's free. Well, you get locked in a closet or in a, in a refrigerator or something somewhere. Air's precious and you'll run out because there's no more air coming in. You may get stranded out on an island somewhere, stranded out in the woods with no food and no water, and you could die of thirst and you could die of starvation because there's no food and no water. You'll never die because there's not enough grace of God. It's an endless supply. It can never run out. You'll, we will never, ever be in a situation to where God's grace is all used up. Now, not only that, but in verse number 8, after he talks about that he has abounded the riches of his grace, he's abounded that toward us, he goes on to say, in all wisdom 
and prudence. So that word wisdom means sound judgment or intelligence. And that word prudence is moral insight or the effective use of wisdom. So what Paul is telling us here is that God's not acting in a rash, irrational manner. God did this with great thought and great purpose. Even before he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, he purposed what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. And he could have said, I just won't make man. But he loved us so much. He said, I'd rather have uh, them make mistakes and have them as to not have them at all. So he created Adam and Eve anyway. He did it with great thought and with great purpose of heart. And he, it abounded. It was wise what he did and how he did it. When we go back and look, look, it may not have been what you and I would have done. But that's because we don't have the wisdom <laughs> And the knowledge that God has. You know, there's things in our life that we pray for. And we sometimes, we sometimes we don't pray like Jesus did. Because Jesus prayed in the, in, in the garden. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thy will be done. You see, Jesus knew what he wanted. <laughs> he, he wanted this cup to pass from him. But he also wanted the will of the Father more than his own will. Now, sometimes when we pray, we will pray and just tell God the outcome we want. God, give me this job. God, do this. God, do that. And we'll pray for God to do a specific thing rather than pray for God's wisdom, which is greater than our wisdom. How many times has God surprised you? God has surprised me. I've, I've been in situations to where I thought, there's no answer to this. There's no way to fix this. I've said things to my wife and made her angry that I thought, this is it. This, yeah, it's over. <laughs> She's never going to forgive me for this. There's no way that I can ever make up for it. There's no way I can make this right. I've done that at work. I've said something, stuck my foot in my mouth and thought, there's no fixing this. God can fix it. And God does fix it. But it's according to His wisdom and His prudence, His purpose. Then we see in verse number five, or I mean verse number nine, he goes on and says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So what is that mystery of his will? It's not a mystery anymore. It was a mystery, but now it's not. So because it says, He's made known unto us. The mystery of His will. So you and I look at God's will and as we talked about a minute ago, it may be mysterious to us. Why would God do that? Why would God save me? I don't know. Why would God save you? Why would, why would God save the person that did some heinous thing that, that we would never forgive them for, but God's willing to forgive them for? That's a mystery. So a mystery is something that's um, unknown, something that, that is uh, secret or unknown. So what is the mystery of God's will? Why would God save us? He goes on to say the mystery of His will 
It's according to His good pleasure. Going back to what we said a minute ago, it's because He wanted to. According to His pleasure. He was pleased to do it. And all of us have been there. All of us have seen somebody that has done us wrong and we wanted to forgive them. Have there, has there been a time in your life that maybe somebody did something to you and you wanted to restore their relationship, you wanted to forgive them, but they wouldn't even ask for forgiveness? They're so embarrassed by what they did or what they said that they won't even talk to you. They won't even allow you to reconcile with them. That's how God feels. When God sees a lost person, God wants to save them. He wants to reconcile them, but they won't even speak to him because they feel like what I've done is way too bad. And God's like, no, no, just talk to me. Come to me. I'll forgive you. And there may have been a time in your life when you were willing to forgive somebody, but they weren't even willing to have a conversation with you to accept the forgiveness that you're trying to give them. You call them on the phone. I just want to make things right. It's okay what you did. I don't care. I, I want to forgive you. Nope, they won't even have a conversation. That's the way that it is when a lost person is rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a quote from John Phillips. <clears throat> he said, But why did his heart overflow with love towards such graceless, unlovely, sinful people. That's a mystery. And we think that today. Why did he use his wisdom to devise means that his banished be not expelled? Why did he make a plan that did not violate his holiness or break his laws, yet involved enormous sacrifice and suffering on himself? Why did God not just say, Oh, you want to sin and turn your back on me? I'm done with you. He could, have, he could have destroyed the world. He could have destroyed Adam and Eve. He could destroy the world today and destroy all of us and be done with it and be right in doing so. So why is it that he decided to take upon himself great suffering? Why did he use his will to carry through a plan of salvation for the likes of you and I? The answer can only be found in understanding the kind of God he is. He, I love this part. He does what he does because he is who he is. You and I can't comprehend it. We can't understand it. And that's because we're not God. And he does it because he's God. And that's who he is and that's what he does. He is a God of love and he wants us to be loving like him. So I thought John Phillips really, really hit the nail on the head. When he, so why is it that God saved us? Because he wanted to. He, he purposed in his heart to save your soul and to save my soul and to save uh, every human being that has ever lived and will ever live. That was his purpose. Why did he do that? In, uh, there in verse 9 he said, according to his good pleasure. You know what pleases God? To forgive sin. That's what pleases God. See, a lot of times we think that God really has to wrestle with it and he, you know, he wrings his hands. Should I really, should I do it? Should I? No, he enjoys that. That's what he wants to do. That's what he lives for. That, that's what he wants. That's why it says that there's rejoicing in heaven. 
when a sinner comes and accepts the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what he wants. You know what, you know what Jesus Christ wants to happen tonight? He wants to see somebody accept him as their personal Savior so that he can forgive them of their sin because that's who he is and that's what he loves to do. That's what he wants. It's according to his good pleasure. And then it goes on to say, which he hath purposed in himself. He purposed. It's everything was done on purpose. That's what we need to understand. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross because he had to. And a lot of people think that he had to. He didn't have to. He did not have to. He went because he wanted to, because he purposed in his heart. He purposed in his mind. He loved you and I so much that he was willing to leave his throne in heaven, to walk as a human, to die an agonizing death on the cross because he purposed that. And Paul says that right here in verse 9. He's made known the mystery of his will, and it's according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. It was all according to his plan. It was all according to the purpose that he set aside in himself. Uh, and the plan, you and I are evidence that God's plan works. Because I'm a saved child of God tonight. I don't understand why God loves me. I don't understand why God saved me because I'm not lovable. I'm not worth having, but God wanted to. He purposed in his heart, and that's exactly what he did. And it goes back to what he said in verse number 6, which happens two more times in this chapter, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So what can we do? We praise the glory of his grace because his grace is glorious, and his grace deserves praise, and it was all according to his purpose. You see, Jesus said in the garden when Peter cut off the ear of the soldier, he said, could I not now call ten legions of angels? Jesus said, I could get out of this. Fellas, you don't understand. They're not, they're not taking me against my will. At my very word, I could have the entire earth destroyed because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no authority greater than that of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he looked at him and said, Fellas, I could call ten legions of angels. I choose not to. I choose to go with these soldiers. I don't need your sword to protect me. It was all according to his purpose. All right, so we will wrap up there and we will start next time in verse number 10.